0: This episode is sponsored by Robin. Do you think being an orthopedic surgeon has gotten more risky? It could be because of anything, from the economy to compliance concerns. If your answer is yes, you're not alone. According to a recent survey from Robin Healthcare, nearly three out of four doctors say practicing today is more risky than it was just five years ago. It's no wonder then that a majority of doctors also say they're documenting more in their medical notes to protect themselves against malpractice claims, Audits and insurance denials. If that's what you're doing, you need to check out Robin. Robin does all the documentation for your patient visits and delivers notes and codes that help protect your practice. To discover how, visit robin.co/orthobullets. That's robin.co/orthobullets. This episode of the Orthobullets podcast will go over the topic of infantile idiopathic scoliosis. From the spine section, On orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Infantile idiopathic scoliosis is a coronal plane spinal deformity which most commonly presents in children ages 3 years or less. Diagnosis is made with full length PA and lateral spine radiographs. MRI studies are indicated to rule out syrinx, tumor, or tethered cord. Treatment can be observation, bracing, or surgical management depending on the skeletal maturity of the patient, magnitude of deformity, and curve progression. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, 4% of idiopathic scoliosis cases are infantile idiopathic scoliosis. In terms of demographics, males are more commonly affected than females. In terms of anatomic location, infantile idiopathic scoliosis is usually a left thoracic curve, and risk factors include family history. Moving on to etiology, in terms of pathophysiology and pathoanatomy, infantile idiopathic scoliosis may adversely affect growth of the alveoli and normal development of the thoracic cage. In terms of genetics, infantile idiopathic scoliosis is associated with an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern with variable penetrance. Associated conditions include plagiocephaly, otherwise known as skull flattening, congenital defects, neural axis abnormalities, and thoracic insufficiency syndrome. In terms of neural axis abnormalities, 22% of patients with curves greater than 20 degrees will be affected. 80% of these patients will need neurosurgical involvement. Thoracic insufficiency syndrome is characterized by decreased thoracic growth and lung volume. This leads to pulmonary hypertension and core pulmonale. Pulmonary function impairment is associated with curves greater than 60 degrees. Cardiopulmonary issues are associated with curves greater than 90 degrees. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. In terms of osteology, the T1 to L5 spinal segment grows fastest in the first five years of life. The height of the thoracic spine increases by two times between birth and skeletal maturity. Now let's talk about the classification of infantile idiopathic scoliosis. So infantile idiopathic scoliosis consists of a resolving type and a progressive type. Early onset scoliosis is a broader category that includes scoliosis in children less than 10 years old. It includes infantile idiopathic scoliosis, which is what we're talking about in this episode, juvenile idiopathic scoliosis, congenital scoliosis, neurogenic scoliosis, and syndromic scoliosis, which is seen in Marfan syndrome and Down syndrome. Now let's talk about the presentation of infantile idiopathic scoliosis. So in terms of history, it's important to determine the age the deformity was first noticed and any observed progression, the perinatal history, and developmental milestones. As far as the presentation, most patients present with a deformity, and keep in mind that excessive drooling may reflect a neurologic condition. On physical exam, inspection may reveal cafe au spots, like in the setting of neurofibromatosis, patches of hair, dimpling over the spinal region, and keep in mind that dimpling outside of the gluteal fold is usually benign, nevi or other tumors that may be indicative of spinal dysraphism, and plagiocephaly, which again is skull flattening. On neurologic assessment, As far as the motor exam, be sure to document developmental milestones and evaluate for Cabo feet. You should also perform a thorough upper and lower extremity exam and be sure to test reflexes. Abnormal abdominal reflexes are associated with the presence of a syrinx. Other abnormal reflexes can include clonus, a positive Hoffman sign, and a positive Babinski. Also be sure to perform a gait analysis in these patients. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standing PA and lateral. This should be done supine in infants that are unable to stand. However, keep in mind that this will make the curve appear less severe. As far as findings, be sure to look for congenital vertebral defects. Measurements include the Cobb angle, where greater than 20 degrees is associated with progression. Another measurement is the rib phase, that is the convex rib head position with respect to the apical vertebra. Findings in phase 1 is no rib overlap, and phase 2 will have rib overlap with the apical vertebrae, and this has a high risk for curve progression. The RVAD, or the rib vertebral angle difference, otherwise known as the metha angle, is obtained by measuring the angle between the end plate and the rib, that is the line between the midpoint of the rib head and the neck. The RVAD, or the rib vertebral angle difference, is the difference of two rib vertebral angles. As far as findings, greater than 20 degrees is linked to a high rate of progression, and less than 20 degrees is associated with spontaneous recovery. As far as MRI, be sure to obtain MRI of the spine first to rule out tether, cyst, tumor, and syrinx, and keep in mind that syrinx has a 20% incidence. Now let's talk about the treatment of infantile idiopathic scoliosis, which can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation alone, as most cases resolve spontaneously. This is indicated for a Cobb angle of less than 30 degrees and an RVAD of less than 20 degrees. Keep in mind that 90% of infantile idiopathic scoliosis cases will resolve spontaneously. Another non operative option is serial methic or derotational casting or thoracolumbosacral orthosis, otherwise known as a TLSO. These are indicated for flexible curves, cob angles greater than 30 degrees, an RVAD of greater than 20 degrees and phase 2 rib rib-vertebrae relationship, that is, rib-vertebral overlap. In terms of mechanism, casting or orthosis functions to straighten the spine in young patients. In older patients, it serves as an adjunctive measure prior to definitive treatment. Another option is bracing, which is indicated for incompletely corrected curves after method casting and late presenting cases where the spine is still flexible. Operative options include a growing rod construct that can be a dual rod or vector where VEPTHER stands for Vertical Expandable Prosthetic Titanium Rib. This option is indicated for cob angles of greater than 50 to 60 degrees and failed methacasting or bracing. In terms of fusion, be sure to delay this option until as close to skeletal maturity as possible. Remember that fusion before age 10 years old results in pulmonary compromise. Outcomes of a growing rod construct includes improvement in the FVC pulmonary function with implementation of a growing construct. Now, let's talk about the technique for a growing rod construct in a bit more detail. So again, a growing rod construct can be a dual rod or a vector. This permits growth of the affected part of the spine up to five centimeters. In terms of dual rods or vectors, be sure to use anchors proximally and distally. And in terms of serial lengthening, this is required every six to eight months. In terms of complications of infantile idiopathic scoliosis, there is a high rate of complications with surgical treatment. Now, let's end this review session talking about the prognosis of infantile idiopathic scoliosis. So as far as progression, again, as we mentioned earlier, most cases resolve spontaneously. However, if it's progressive by age 5, greater than 50% of children will have a curve greater than 70 degrees. Meta predictors of progression include a Cobb angle of greater than 20 degrees, an RVAD greater than 20 degrees, and a phase 2 rib-vertebral relationship that is a rib-vertebral overlap. In terms of prognosis, progressive curves have poor outcomes and must be treated. And remember that this can be fatal if not treated appropriately. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. In infantile idiopathic scoliosis, which of the following factors suggest progression? And the choices are 1. Age at presentation. 2. Rib overlap of the apical vertebra. 3. Rib-vertebral angle difference of greater than 10 degrees. 4. Male gender. And 5. Family history. The correct answer to this question is 2. Rib overlap of the apical vertebra. So infantile idiopathic scoliosis occurs more commonly in boys with a 3 to 1 male to female ratio. Neural axis abnormalities, hip dysplasia, and congenital heart disease are all associated with the condition. Spontaneous correction frequently occurs. Curve progression can be predicted by the rib vertebral angle difference or the phase of the rib head. Rib overlap of the apical vertebral body or a rib vertebral angle difference of greater than 20 degrees indicates that the curve is likely to progress. Gender, family history, and age of presentation have not been found to be risk factors for progression. And moving on to the final question, a six-year-old girl has a painless spinal deformity. Examination reveals two plus and equal knee jerks and ankle jerks, negative clonus, and a negative Babinski. This right leg-raising test is negative. Abdominal reflexes are asymmetrical. PA and lateral radiographs demonstrate a left-sided thoracic curve that is pointing away from the cardiac shadow. What is the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. MRI of the spinal axis, 2. Physical therapy, 3. A brace for scoliosis, Four, observation with reevaluation in six to 12 months. And five, posterior spinal fusion from T6 to T12. The correct answer to this question is one MRI of the spinal axis. So the patient has an abnormal neurologic exam as shown by the abnormal abdominal reflexes. Furthermore, she has a significant curve and is younger than age 10 years old. These findings are not consistent with idiopathic scoliosis. MRI will best rule out syringomyelia or an intraspinal tumor. Bracing and surgery are not indicated for this small curvature prior to obtaining an MRI scan. That's all for this review about infantile idiopathic scoliosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on OrthoBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.